I want to invite you to join us for the first ever Bitcoin Business Owners Roundtable. On May 22nd, Paul D. Joe, co-founder and former COO at Mudwater, will be sharing about online marketing and using Bitcoin to accelerate your efforts. In addition to helping scale the well-known coffee alternative, Paul is also behind Casey Cattle's recent Bitcoin adoption that went viral on Twitter. After Paul shares, there'll be a live Q&A along with the time to share insights and network with fellow entrepreneurs. You can find a link in the show notes to sign up. Be sure you'll be able to say, I was there when your progeny asked you where you were for the first ever Bitcoin Business Owners Roundtable. I tend to be the kind of person who thinks, for better or worse, if securities go in this bucket and commodities go in that bucket and commodities futures go over here, well, is this like a security? Is this like a commodity? Is this like a commodities future? Right? And and you just sort accordingly. I tend to think that just because something is digitally native or was born on the internet or on a blockchain does not make it so much more like those other digitally native things and so much less like the maybe real world or old world analogs. Welcome to the Business Bitcoinization Show, the show dedicated to helping you enrich your life and grow your business with Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth. I'm your host, Josh Friedemann, and our guest today is Alexandra Geyser, who's the Director of Regulatory Affairs at River Financial. In this role, she assists in new product strategy and interfaces with regulators. Before joining River, Alexandra was at the U.S. Department of Treasury, first in the General Counsel's Office and then as the youngest ever Executive Secretary, where she worked directly with Secretary Mnuchin and other members of senior staff. I think you're going to enjoy today's conversation. And if you want a little bit more from Alexandra, after the interview, we got to talking about how we didn't focus as much on extremely relevant uh, regulatory aspects for business owners. And so we recorded about 90 seconds of content, and that's going to be on my YouTube channel. That video is linked in the show notes below. Of course, before we get to our interview with Alexandra, we do have this week's Bitcoin Meetup Spotlight, and this week is Columbus Bitcoin. Columbus Bitcoin is a bi-weekly Bitcoin social meetup in Columbus, Ohio. Join them at their next meetup on June 13th at River Financial's downtown offices in Columbus, Ohio. Ben Epling, River's strategy analyst and Ohio State alum, will be sharing. The team from Gray Data Mining will also be there along with Seed Signer. For more information, visit columbusbitcoin.io or follow Columbus Bitcoin on Twitter at Columbus Bitcoin. And if you're not in the Columbus area but want to find a Bitcoin meetup near you, I encourage you to download the Oshi app where you'll be able to do just that. Now we're going to get to our interview with Alexandra right after this. Business owners, unlock the benefits Bitcoin has to offer your business with the Bitcoin for Business Quick Start Guide. This 27-page guide highlights the six ways you can grow your business with Bitcoin. Check it out in the show notes. Alexandra, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, Josh. So I'd like to start off every single interview with a few questions that help us to get to know you a little bit better and give us some insight for our own lives. Are you ready for these? I'm ready. When and how did you first learn about Bitcoin? Uh, A Facebook post to the Wikipedia page for Bitcoin on July 21st, 2011. Wow. So I was, yeah. Uh, So I have an undergrad in politics, philosophy, and economics. And I really liked the economics part of that. And so one of my 
friends from college posted on my Facebook wall, uh, as an economist person, how do you feel about this? And like, my conclusion was more or less, you know, amazing if true. And I, I'm, I'm a lawyer. So I always joke that I was not uh, sophisticated enough to have bought Bitcoin early enough to then lose it in Mt. Gox. Um, I didn't buy Bitcoin until 2017, but did did buy it before the big bull run and nice. um, have always really appreciated Bitcoin, especially from the economic side. I joke that Bitcoin will make economics true again. Mm. And so that has always been kind of the the most appealing aspect of it for me. Question number two is this. What's an insight or fact about Bitcoin that you wish everyone understood? That Bitcoin is anonymized or pseudonymous. It's not anonymous. So I think this cuts both ways. Um, I think people like perhaps the Canadian truckers from a year or two ago think, oh, no one will know that I'm sending or receiving Bitcoin. Uh, and then I think policymakers and regulators, when they first hear about it, are often very nervous and think, you know, maybe have some vague associations with uh, the dark web or criminal activity. And I always tell people, if if you'd like to do crime, uh, which I don't advise, nothing beats a duffel bag full of cash, right? Um, mm. There's a reason that anytime we see ransomware that wants to get paid in Bitcoin, tend to track it down pretty easily. So there are kind of better and worse ways to interact with that. But I think that it's it's not fully anonymous piece is something that folks who are um, both very pro-privacy and very anti-privacy tend to miss. What is the Bitcoin resource you most recommend to other people? River Learn, absolutely. Uh, so this is the sort of investopedia of uh, Bitcoin terminology. But if you want less of a corporate shill answer, uh, I like the Bitcoin standard. So again, I uh, I like the economics piece of it. And I kind of joke that one's, you know, come for why, for why Bitcoin makes money real uh, and economics true again, and stay for why gold would have solved World War I. Mm -hmm. So question number four, we're moving away from Bitcoin. Beyond Bitcoin, what is a resource, tool, or idea that's been helpful to you or your work in River recently? I think it's the idea of a morning block. So particularly in a 24-7 kind of news cycle and having all the technology in the world in the palm of your hand or your back pocket constantly, it's really easy to get distracted and to lose focus and to hit 3 p.m. and feel like, oh my gosh, I've gotten nothing done. So I do a block of things every morning. It starts with reading the Bible. And then uh, depending on my son's wake up schedule, it's either playing with him and then working out or working out and then playing with him. But um, starting things out with scripture, exercise and family is a pretty good start to the day. And now we have our final arbitrary but insightful question. And is this as a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Why not? You do not get to be a Bitcoin lawyer if you need somebody else to make the case to you. So I have mm. uh, had a, a little bit of an unusual path in the law. And I think it's because I've kind of always just thrown my hat in the ring and said, sure, what the heck? I'll, I'll apply. I'll see what sticks. And it's been a great ride. So I tend to ask, why not? 
Meet Linkster, your premier Bitcoin-focused advisor. Linkster caters to businesses, institutions, family offices, and high net worth individuals. They merge your unique financial goals and needs with Linkster's Bitcoin expertise to craft your own sustainable plan to preserve and grow the value of your hard-earned profits and retained earnings. And Linkster is not just advice, it's tailored execution. Connect directly with the founder by visiting Linkster.com. That's L-Y-N-C-S-T-E-R. Dot com Linkster. Secure your future with Bitcoin. Today's episode of Business Bitcoinization is proudly brought to you by Vellus Commerce, where the future of business technology meets Bitcoin. As we journey through the era of Bitcoin and its transformational impact on businesses, there's one name that stands out. Vellus Commerce. Whether you're looking to build a cutting-edge website, a seamless mobile app, or custom software, Vellus is your go-to team. They've been diving deep into the world of Bitcoin since 2014, making them one of the most experienced groups for integrating Bitcoin and Lightning payments into a variety of digital platforms. But here's what truly sets them apart. Vellus Commerce doesn't just build. They bring a wealth of knowledge to ensure your project's success from day one. Their team understands the nuances of Bitcoin, ensuring that your business stays ahead of the curve. And for all business Bitcoinization listeners out there, Vellus Commerce is offering a free consultation to kickstart your project the right way. So if you're ready to future-proof your business in the coming age of hyper-Bitcoinization, head over to VellusCommerce.com or reach out on Twitter at Vellus Commerce. Let's make sure your business thrives in the Bitcoin era. So that's a great transition. Uh, speaking about the law side of things, you are the director of regulatory affairs at River Financial. And I wanted to talk with you today a little bit about regulatory things people need to be aware of, but specifically business owners. So maybe if you could just start off by sharing with us about your position and how you got to River Financial in the first place. So I always joke that uh, regulators are sometimes interested to learn about Bitcoin, but Bitcoiners very rarely like learning about regulation. Uh, So hopefully this is helpful and not too painful. Um, But I came to River in March of 21. And previously, I had been at the U.S. Department of Treasury. So started in the general counsel's office there and then was the youngest ever executive secretary, which if you don't live in Washington, D.C., probably means nothing to you. It is sort of the air traffic control of the building. So uh, anything, any term is any papers uh, that passed to or from Secretary Mnuchin had to cross my desk first. And my team worked very hard uh, to make sure that things ran smoothly there. So also for those of you who remember some of the uh, policies that happened in the 2020 era uh, at Treasury, I like to remind people I was in a policy facilitating role, not a policy making (laughs) role. So those were not my ideas. Go yell at somebody else. (laughs) But yeah, before that, I was um, just a normal attorney. I had done a couple of clerkships for judges and then was at a big international law firm and kind of went to Treasury out of the blue. So again, asking, well, why not uh, has served me well. Maybe this is not easy to answer, but I'm curious to know what was the most helpful experience that you had before River that's helping in your current role? Yeah, I think being at Treasury was my first experience being an in-house attorney. And so as an in-house attorney, your job is to solve a lot of problems for one client. Being a law firm attorney, your job is to solve one type of problem for a lot of clients. And so Mm. that's a kind of a a value neutral difference. But I think it's been really fun and interesting to see um, 
either a, a department of the federal government or a company really holistically and to look at its needs, its goals, its purpose, its mission, and say, and then solve the legal problems that come out of that. Um, and typically, I'd say working with very smart people who are not lawyers, I find to be pretty fulfilling. Um, if I were not a lawyer, I would not voluntarily hang out with lawyers. And so I sort of recognize nobody likes asking the lawyer for permission or, or guidance. And so I try to make that as painless as possible. And I think typically smart people have good creative ideas. And so I view my job as um, trying to find a way to make it happen. So innovation doesn't happen if you're only willing to follow precedent, but there are some precedents you really have to follow. So I think it's it's kind of calling those balls and strikes. And I had the, the opportunity to practice those skills at Treasury right before coming here. So I know you've only been in the role since 2021, which in some ways is a short amount of time. In another sense, like Bitcoin's very young. So in the grand scheme yeah. of things, in the, in the Bitcoin world, that's a that's a chunk of time. Have you noticed that as you've been talking with regulators, as you've been going about, you know, I guess talking with people outside of River, not in the Bitcoin world, have people's understanding of Bitcoin has that changed over time, or do you is it still one of those things where people don't really understand Bitcoin? I think both things can be true at once. So yes, okay. I would say particularly um, when I talk to regulators in 2023, they know a lot more about Bitcoin, about you know, what a wallet is, um, kind of the, the tech side of things. They're not are not sort of saying, oh no, what's a blockchain? Um, sure. That said, do they do they understand it at the level that your average pleb does? No. And so that's something where I try to serve as a as a translator. And I think that the analogies we use really matter. And so that's something I think through a lot in my role is how can I how can I explain this? Not just so it makes sense, but so that it can line up with a framework that a regulator is already familiar with. So River is regulated state by state as a money transmitter. I think anyone would tell you that is a square peg round hole. There's a lot about River that um, maybe makes sense about with existing money transmission laws and a lot that kind of doesn't. And so I try to take a step back and say, okay, like how, how can I explain where the holes are, but how can I also analogize this in a way that, that is comfortable for a regulator's framework? I think that tends to, tends to work well. So what types of analogies are you talking about that work well with regulators? Thinking through how you send something. So a lot of regulators really think of a wallet as a physical place where Bitcoin lives. Um, and so trying to transition them over to it's a little bit more of a keychain is actually like not a super useful thing because whether it's a wallet or a keychain doesn't really matter for them or for how they interact with River. And so that's one where I tend to just sort of leave it be, right? But I talk about you know whether we have a closed loop or an open loop in terms of how you can move money and what money you can move to other people. That matters a lot on the AML and KYC side. And so that's something regulators are really concerned about. So the sooner I can say, yes, you can keep a US dollar balance on the platform, but it's a closed loop system. You can only ever back those dollars out into your bank account, that really says, oh, okay, I can track with you. I understand where we're going here. 
So now let's go from regulators to business owners, the people listening to this podcast and the person who's asking the questions on this podcast as well, because I told you in advance of this interview that I am a student on today's episode. What are the regulatory issues that people need to be thinking about either that are coming down the pike or that are maybe currently here but we're just not aware of them yet. Any thoughts there? Just I, Because I don't even quite know how to ask the question. I'm leaving it as open-ended as possible because I still need to be educated in this area. Sure. So I will preface this and kind of everything else with, this is not legal advice. Um, so if, if you think you need legal advice, you should go get some. Um, but that said, I think what we're seeing is a lot of movement at both the state and the federal level. And so the federal level gets all of the headlines, but the state level is probably going to make a bigger difference for any um, exchanges you interact with and any other kind of companies where where you're interacting with them buying, selling, sending, receiving Bitcoin, just because of those state money transmission laws. So I think post FTX, um, that is absolutely the elephant in the room. And I get the sense that legislators and regulators um, really feel like, true or not, they were were kind of caught by surprise on that. And like there was more that should have been done on the front end. Mm. I would sort of say, you know, fraud is fraud is fraud. It's always illegal. It's always wrong. Um, And so we are not in a situation where we're wringing our hands and saying, man, FTX did all of this stuff and it's so bad and we know it's bad, but there's nothing we can do about it. Not true. Like we're, there are charges, there are multiple people, there are indictments, they're, they're being handled. And so from that standpoint, I would sort of say, um, you know, it is a tragedy when Americans lose money to Ponzi schemes and fraudulent corporations. It's bad. It shouldn't happen. I don't know how much of that could have been changed with different regulation. I do think mm. the current sort of, um, it's not a lack of regulation. People, um, including Gary Gensler, are fond of saying it's the Wild West and crypto is totally unregulated. Not true. Um, we're regulated you know, just River is regulated by FinCEN as a money services business. Like I said, we're regulated state by state as a money transmitter. Uh, We and all our clients deal with the IRS and tax reporting. We have to comply with the OFAC sanctions list. I mean, on and on and on. It's, It's not like it's a blank slate out there. What I think we are lacking is a clear regulatory trellis or framework on which innovation can grow. And so that's something where if you are concerned about crime and bad actors like FTX, um, I think you're likely to pursue a probably slightly different set of regulations than if you are concerned about innovation and having clear rules of the road for folks to follow um, that allows allows the technology to kind of develop and, and go where it may. So I think you're seeing a big mix of that in the states. Um, state legislators are kind of in session in the spring, ideas are churning. And I would say, you know, 
January of 23, I've never seen the energy from state legislators and state regulators like we saw kind of coming back after FTX went down, after the holiday season, people hit the ground running and were really interested in solving that problem. So I think um, good news is we're likely to get more clarity in the next probably 12 to 24 months. Bad news is you might not like that clarity. Uh, You might we wish they had come to a different conclusion. So that is, um, I think, the surprising thing about democracy is it typically means living with other people's preferences. When it comes to state legislatures, what are some of the things that they're deciding on? And just I'm, I'm based in Mississippi. I know Dennis Porter and his group have been helping to pass a lot of legislation, including some in Mississippi, this positive for Bitcoin. But uh, and I know that Florida passed some anti CBDC something or other. I don't know how much that's just like a preemptive thing versus posturing versus whatever else. But are there certain things that uh, we that people should be at least aware of as far as decisions being made state by state that you could clue us into? I will, full disclaimer, there are 50 states uh, and there's just one of me. So there is kind of always more to keep track of um, mm-hmm. that than hours in my day. And so, you know, there are various groups that are advocating for policy. Some focus more on the federal level, some focus more on the state level. And I think we all agree with we want Bitcoin to flourish. And I think some of us disagree about the best ways and best bills to get there. So um, I think you'll see there's a bill in Texas that has said, um, you know, we want to make sure that Bitcoin companies have proof of reserves. Well, proof of reserves sounds really good. Um, but any accountant can tell you like assets is it's just one side of the ledger, right? And sure. and it's just a snapshot in time. And so there are some details on that bill where um, you know they they want you to give an auditor access to some things. Um, and I I don't know how that works practically. I am not a CPA, um, but I am an attorney. And if somebody said, well. Everything we're doing is legal because we've given a lawyer access to our business plan. You don't know if they've logged in. You don't know when they reviewed it. I mean, accounting the the whole difference is whether you're looking at the full stream or, or at a snapshot, right? And so those sorts of things really matter. And I tend to think that that legislation is ambiguous in some ways that, you know, maybe it'll work out and maybe as it's being administered, it won't be such a big deal. Um, but maybe there are some issues that are going to be just practically very difficult for companies to comply with. And Texas is by and large, extremely favorable to Bitcoin. Um, I think that's something that's really counterintuitive is, you know, as Bitcoiners, we think Bitcoin is not just money, it's the best money. But if a state defines Bitcoin as money, the odds that it comes into their money transmission laws and thus requires more regulation to deal with are actually pretty high. And so, again, it's not always exactly what you think, but um, leaving Bitcoin as not legal tender, not money, not monetary value actually gives you quite a bit more room to operate in various states. When it comes to the states and the the lawmakers in states, do you get the sense? And once again, I know that you're not a CPA, you're a lawyer, you're not a a politician, you're a lawyer. But do you get the sense that states are trying to 
fill a void where the federal government has not yet made any pronouncements? Or is it that it want, the states want to preemptively make laws to kind of signal to the federal government what their thoughts are on Bitcoin or the broader crypto world, which I'm not interested in, but legislatures still bring into the conversation? So we have a federalist system, right? So we have states are sovereign, uh, but they are subjected to the federal government. And so I think up to this point, you've seen states um, kind of more in the wait and see approach, where I think they kind of just threw up their hands and said, well, sooner or later, the feds are going to regulate this. And so we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll keep applying our money transmission laws to it and kind of do our best. And certainly there was a lot of work to be done there. But I think um, what you're seeing now is states saying, no, we, we can do it. And in fact, there are some actors in the federal government we don't trust and we don't want to see act in this space. And so that's where I think you're seeing some of the anti-CBDC legislation, which again, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sure how, how effective it will ultimately be. But I think as a mood barometer and potentially, you know, sort of a PR talking point, I think it's really important to say, yeah, a CBDC is really un-American. Uh, we, we don't do that here, right? And so from that standpoint, I like the spirit and I think it makes it accessible to Americans who otherwise would not have a particular interest one way or the other in Bitcoin to say, oh, yeah, actually, some of the principles that I really care about do matter. They do pop up in this space. What should I be paying attention to, even if I don't own Bitcoin? Speaking about, about Americans who don't have a particular interest in Bitcoin one way or the other, people who are totally out of the space they, in the last year, they've heard about FTX, all of this other news connected uh, to FTX. And now they're probably starting to hear that the SEC is suing Binance and Coinbase. So there's a lot of question marks out there for people. And I think that if you're a, a Bitcoin only person, you feel pretty comfortable with where you are right now. I'm curious, though, what are some things in the last few years that you felt really good about when it comes to regulation or just understanding how politicians and regulators feel about Bitcoin? We are really starting to see some serious legislative movement. Um, so the Lummis Gillibrand bill was sort of the the biggest first splash in this regard. Um, came out of the Senate, which like a over a year ago, um, maybe I think. Don't quote me on the timeline, um, but I think you know you you're seeing more of that coming. Um, there's a discussion draft in the House right now, and I think it's encouraging. The, the lawmakers are taking this seriously and they're working to understand this area. So um, you used to see sort of digital assets or virtual currency thrown around. And then the definition sections were often really hard to read. And they would always say like, you know, we, we don't mean in-game video game currency, but like the stuff they did mean was not always particularly clear. And I think what you're seeing now is a, a delineation between digital securities. So something that maybe had a, an initial coin offering or an ICO, something that has a CEO and probably a director of marketing and may in fact work more like shares of a company than like Bitcoin. Well, that's great. Um, but that is really different from something that is fully decentralized and 
fungible um, like Bitcoin. And then you're also seeing, I think, a distinction being made between um, kind of cryptocurrencies and DeFi projects and then stable coins, which again are um, for some people, bear, a very important part of the ecosystem, and yet do not work uh, like a security or, frankly, like a commodity. And they're not really like a money market, although mm-hmm. maybe they are in some senses, right? And so I, I really appreciate that. I think um, I have maybe this is the former government lawyer talking, but I have a lot of sympathy for folks who who aren't in this world, who don't live on Bitcoin Twitter, and who are trying to kind of jump in and understand it in good faith and distinguish between different types of technologies, how they work, what their application might be, and then just sort of sort them into the right buckets, right? I tend to be of the view that nobody would sit down and design the financial services regulation uh, that we have in the U.S., right now from scratch. Nobody would put it together quite this way, but but that's how it's come to pass. And so when we think about, you know, how does how does Bitcoin, how does crypto fit into this, I think they're kind of better and worse answers depending on the better and worse aspects that we already have. But I tend to be the kind of person who thinks for better or worse, if securities go in this bucket and commodities go in that bucket and commodities futures go over here, well, is this like a security? Is this like a commodity? Is this like a commodities future? Right? And and you just sort accordingly. I tend to think that just because something is digitally native or was born on the internet or on a blockchain does not make it so much more like those other digitally native things and so much less like the maybe real world or old world analogs. I tend to think um, there's nothing new under the sun. And so it's pre- it's pretty hard to say, oh my gosh, we've never seen anything like this. I think, well, actually we probably have. And so wouldn't it be easier to just make a few adjustments to what's already in place for the thing that this is like? And I think you're starting to see more of that come out of Congress. As far as the SEC goes, um, that is different from legislative action. So those are you know, enforcement measures taken by an independent agency um, in the ex- executive branch, um, sort of in the fourth branch of government. So you know, I think that is, again, um, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the, the current SEC, which, you know, is a lawyer at a Bitcoin-only company is a luxury I have. Um, but that said, I think it's important to distinguish between enforcement actions and legislation. So the way that things are regulated tend to happen in the executive branch or in agencies. And that is different from the legislative process, which really should be a debate and a back and forth. And so I think there's there's some hope on the horizon in terms of just the, the quality and the understanding of what you're seeing. Again, um, there's plenty that I would change. Uh, you know, Alexandra's bill has not been introduced yet, but um, Looking forward I to do it. think that <laughs> Yeah, right. Exactly. I think you're seeing a a greater level of understanding and a real good faith willingness to engage with the issues. 
Well, that's encouraging to hear. Maybe that's a good place to finish and we could have you on in the future as, as things become clear or there's new developments. But I appreciate you sharing today to give listeners a, a greater sense of the regulatory landscape and just a, a lawyer's opinion on some of these things. Before we finish up, I'd love to hear any final thoughts that you have, as well as what you're most excited about right now at River Financial that could be connected to what you're doing or a new product or just a product you think people need to know about. But uh, maybe share that along with any final thoughts you have and where people can find you. Absolutely. So I am uh, extremely boring on the internet, uh, but you can find me on Twitter at AH underscore Geyser uh, and LinkedIn at Alexandra Harrison Geyser, I think. And um, River has something very exciting that I actually think is going to be particularly interesting to your listeners. It's River Lightning Services. So you can go to rls.dev. And right now we're only doing this for other companies that have, um, you know, that are regulated and kind of registered on their own. But we are doing Lightning Backend API. So if you are interested in sending and receiving using the Lightning Network, uh, you can't get any better than the River Tech Stack. And so our engineers have kind of done the hard work for you and made that very easy. So I think this is, it's still kind of a, a baby product. It has a lot of growing left to do, but it should be a really exciting thing. And, and we're excited to see where it goes. Excellent. Well, Alexander, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Josh. Well, friends, it's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Business Bitcoinization Show. If you want to reach out to either me or Alexandra, you can find those links down in the show notes. And if you're interested in seeing what River has to offer, you can check out that link in the show notes as well. As always, keep building, keep growing. And until next time, keep living and leading well. If you're a regular listener of the podcast, thank you. If you want to take a further step in your support for the show, you can help us grow by listening on Fountain, a value-for-value value podcast app on iOS or Android. If you hear something you like that you disagree with or anything else, you can share it by sending some sats and adding a comment with your thoughts. Some of you have already done this, and I appreciate it. I'm going to begin reading your boosts on upcoming episodes, so if you have some insight or value to add, let the people know. Getting started with Fountain is easy. You can add Bitcoin to your Fountain wallet by using your fiat accounts or any lightning wallet and one of my favorite features is that once you're using the app you can earn sats just by listening on fountain check out the link in the show notes to get started with fountain today